running away from people now. 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters' <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fati was always soft. Can't win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass, end zone, touchdown, and the ball game. DeVito in relief, wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation, brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte as we welcome you into a Monday edition of Orange Nation. No guests lined up for you here in hour number one. We want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. And then we've got Eric Devendorf set to join us here in studio at 1 o'clock as he joins us at that time every Monday throughout the college basketball season. A lot to get to. We'll, we'll touch on some college lacrosse today. Big win for both the SU men and women over the weekend. The men up to number three now in the national polls. Came from behind against Army to pick up a win. The SU women uh, with a big win as well on the road at number six Northwestern on Saturday. But, of course, we begin uh, with another comeback victory, Seth. And and that was the the men's basketball team inside the Dome on Saturday. Down 11 at the half. A listless performance in the first half against Georgia Tech. Was it a hangover from the last two games, last three games, or was it just a case of them not playing well? It, whatever the reason may be, down double digits at the half, and they turn it around in a blink of an eye in the second half. Defensively, they were a lot better. They got contributions really from everyone in that second half. They pull out the win, and now they're back to 8-8 eight and eight in conference play. Yeah, I mean, they they were uh, great in the second half, and... and um, I don't know about you, Steve. I did not see that coming. I, I was not expecting that second half as we sat in the dome at halftime. You know, I think uh, I think it was uh, Matthew Gutierrez. He even said something to me. We were, you know, sitting in our seats. He, I was I was in my seat. He had just come back, and he was walking over to his. And he goes, uh, hey, maybe they'll come back. And I go, yeah, okay. Right? Like, I mean, look at what they did in the first half. There's no reason to think that they were going to turn things around and play well enough to erase that deficit. You know, they they had not done anything that made you feel confident that they would go ahead and erase an 11-point deficit in the second half. And yet they come out and, um, I mean, they shot 64% from the field. Like, they were just incredible. Um, they shot the ball well. They they made smart decisions. Barama Sidibe played a really good game, uh, you know, and stayed out of foul trouble in the first half so he could stay on the floor in the second. Uh, you know, Quincy, uh, I, I should say Marek and Elijah both played really well. And you got out of there with a win. And, you know, I know we talked about this beforehand, and I talked about it on the postgame, the, the pregame and the postgame show on Saturday. Um, I don't know how much these games mean, uh, but I know that they mean more if you win them than if you lose them. You know, I, I don't know that there's a, a path to an at-large bid. I, I don't believe that there is. But I know that if you lose one of these, there's definitely not a path to an at-large bid. And so, you know, keep that hope alive. Keep that momentum rolling to get to the ACC tournament. But bigger picture, uh, look at all the good that you could pull out of that game for next year. Hey, Marek was like confident and aggressive again. That's awesome. You know, Joe Girard looked pretty good in the second half of that game. Fantastic. Barama stayed on the floor. That's great. You know, and you're going to get all of these guys back next year. Yeah, and as we talked about last week, the best path 
to making a deep run in the ACC tournament is by getting that five seed. And then, again, you avoid the top three teams for at least your first two games. So that is the best path to make a deep run. And right now, Syracuse tied with NC State for fifth. NC State still has a matchup with Duke coming up. So, you know, you said, why win these games? We discussed it last week. You want to finish as high as you can in the conference standings. You want to try to get that five seed and then see what happens down in Greensboro. And in order to get the five seed, you know that you don't have the tiebreaker with NC State. So you're tied in the standings, but essentially a game behind because you lost to them head-to-head. You need NC State to lose at least to Duke, and then you need to to keep winning your game. So in that regard, it was important. And, and I'm with you. I mean, I think you you have a lot to, to build upon from this game. I thought Barama in particular was, was very good, and I, I know that he was the one guy in the starting lineup that did not finish in double figures, but six points, ten rebounds out of him. He stayed out of foul trouble for the most part, only had the one foul in the first half, and he ended up falling out of the game, but I, I thought he was he was terrific. He was aggressive. Um, he made his presence felt on both ends of the court. And, and while you know it's easy to look at the the sixty four percent shooting, obviously that was a big reason why they turned the game around in the second half. But I, I thought defensively they were really good. And and I know that Georgia Tech finished the game at forty six percent from the floor for the game, um, but I thought they did a really good job getting after it defensively, forcing turnovers. Yellow Jackets finished with seventeen turnovers in the game. They only had two offensive rebounds in the second half, so they were forcing turnovers. And when Georgia Tech missed a shot, Syracuse was getting the rebound, and they were going to the other end, and they were converting. And they that's what they needed to happen because they were down by 11 points. They needed to get after it on both ends of the court, and I thought right. they did that. They did, and you know they got out in transition. They scored 21 fast break points, and, and we've talked about this all year. This team is at their best when they're playing in transition and when they're playing with tempo. And you know um, the, Jim Beheim can get up at the podium all he wants and say we're not a transition team. The reality is this team is a transition team and we've seen it when they've played their best games this year they get out in transition and they get some easy three-point looks or they get to the basket and get some easy looks that way and it's just you know it's it's the way that this team plays its best basketball and you know I think that we saw that again in in the game on Saturday you know they they got out in transition more they broke out you know a lot of it goes to that rebounding that you mentioned where they they were getting the rebounds and shutting off possessions Um, you know it allows you to break out it allows you to um, you know try and get to the other end and beat the other team down the court and you know that, that's just kind of a, a reality too isn't it, it what, when are you going to be more successful when the defense is set up or when the defense not is not set up you know when, when you have more men than the defense does or when you have fewer and you know Syracuse took advantage of that on Saturday and it's easier for Buddy in particular to get clean looks in transition than it is in the half court set because he draws so much attention it's easy easier I guess I should say to lose him in transition and for him to get an open look than it is in, in the half court set because guys are helping and fighting around screens and I mean he is such a focal point of the opponent's defense that it's it's hard for him to to get good looks but he made a three Joe Girard hit a couple Elijah hit a couple again we, we saw this team live by the three die by the three at the beginning of the season that's not what they're doing now you know they're getting to the basket more. They're getting to the free throw line more. Um, they shot 36 free throws in this game. That's good. It, it is good. That's um, good. They're doing it different ways. I mean, they only took 14 threes, and they got to the free throw line 36 times. They went 28 to 36. Um, and again, Marek a perfect 12 for 12. Elijah went to the line, was 8 of 10. We saw Joe miss a couple. Normally he doesn't miss, miss those free throws. But, you know, that was actually so that was actually really funny. We were here in the office watching because I, I had the post-game show after. So we're, we're sitting in our, in our conference room watching the end of the game. And 
uh, you know, somebody else walks in and it's the end of the game and he's like, all right, get it to Joe, get it to Joe, right? Like, like let, let's get him on the line. And I go, well, he did just miss one of two. Like, you sure? <laughs> like, and I'm saying it as a joke, right? I'm saying, well, Marek's pretty, been perfect today. What about him? Like, make, have, how about Marek takes the, takes the free throws? And sure enough, they get it to Joe. He gets fouled. He goes and misses one of two again. And I go, see, should have given it to, like, you know, it's just, it was weird. Like, that doesn't make, <laughs> yeah, doesn't, that make doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, but I, Marek was, fantastic and, and finished with 20 points and again he was more aggressive I mean coming off a game in which he took one shot right he goes from taking one shot to finishing with 20 points again he was only four for six from the field but he got to the free throw line he made those free throws he drew eight fouls I love this stat by the way I love the fouls drawn stat uh on the, the post game box score uh Elijah drew eight fouls Marek drew eight fouls tied for uh for the game high um you know, they had trouble with Moses Wright, but again, going into this game, you said shut down DeVoe, shut down Alvarado, and you're going to have a good chance to win. Those two guys combined for 19 points. I thought they did, a, a, for the most part, did a really good job on both Alvarado and DeVoe. And, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles. Moses Wright had a fantastic game. He scored a lot in close. He was he was unstoppable in the first half. But he went 14 for 17. He did. Like, I mean, I'm just looking at a lot that of again. them were, like, were layups and dunks. And he, I mean, he, he, he was great. He was great. But again, the focal point was stopping Alvarado, stopping DeVoe. They did that, and um, and they come out with a win, and, and they're back to 500. And you know what, Seth, at the beginning of the season, and I know the non-conference didn't go the way that, that SU fans wanted, but at the beginning of the season, we thought this was about a 500 team in the ACC. And here they are with four games left in the conference, and they're a 500 team in the league standing. So I think this is about what we expected. The reason that they are not in the at-large talk, as you and I have discussed at length, is because of what happened during the non-conference season. They didn't you know, pick up a win over Iowa or Georgetown or Penn State or well, Oklahoma and, State. They, and who their wins are. Yeah, right, you know, they, right. they just don't have right. anything that stands out. But again, in most years, right, if the ACC is the ACC, 500 conference record would be fine. You pick up a couple nice wins in non-conference, and now you're talking about an at-large bid. They don't have the non-conference resume, and they don't have a strong ACC to, to point to and say, see, we were you know 500 in the best conference in the country. Exactly. Um, ACC is down this year, and we know that. But, again, from a record perspective, at least in the ACC, they're about what we thought they would be. You know, They have no bad losses. They've, for the most part, taken care of the bottom half of the conference. They've had trouble with the top half of the conference. And they are a middle-of-the-road ACC team, which is what we expected. And right now, you know, tied for fifth in the conference stands. If they were to finish fifth, I think you'd feel pretty good about that. And again, it's it's not going to be enough likely to get an at-large bid, but it would put them in, I think, the best position possible uh, to make a run at the ACC tournament. We discussed this on the show last week about whether or not guys like Howard and Bryson and Jesse would get extra time in the Georgia Tech game and beyond, given the fact that it seems like an at-large bid is kind of off the table. And, you know, to some degree, you're looking ahead to next year. And you and I both thought... You know, Jim Bam's going to try to win these games, whatever it takes to win these games. Yes. I look at what happened on Saturday, and I know all those guys got in in the first half. I don't know as if, to me anyway, it didn't feel like this was a concerted effort to get them in the game. To me, it felt more like the starters were playing like garbage, and he was trying to 
spark the the I team, spark exactly the game, and let's put those guys in. You know, let them let the starters sit a little bit and see if these guys can provide some energy. I thought it was more that than a concerted effort to, yeah, you know what, we got to start looking ahead to next year. Yeah, I, I I tweeted out right away. I was like, well, you wanted to see new people, right? And and then like I kind of thought about it, and yeah, you know, hearing Jim Beheim after, I I really considering that we didn't see them at all after that stretch. What they played four or five minutes. You know, Bry- Bryson played five. Jesse played five. Uh, Howard played two. Um, you know, so I, I think that you really, you, you saw like a two-minute stretch where it was those uh, those three, Quincy and Elijah. Gerardi, and it was a weird, and it was a weird stretch. Joe and Buddy came out for a minute and two, 36 yeah. seconds. Right. And that, and that was Howard that was, was in there, and then Howard came off, and we didn't see him again. Right. But so, uh, you know, you, you look at why they played, and I, I think that right in the moment, it was easy to say, "Oh, well, they were. They, this is what they're doing. They 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 realize they're not in the NCAA tournament at large pool, and they want to get some other guys run." But then seeing that they did not come back in at any point the rest of the game, I think that it was fairly obvious to look um, and see, "Oh, they were just playing really bad." And and Jim Beheim said that after the game. No, it it wasn't like a it wasn't like a, oh we wanted to play them more. It wasn't a message to anybody. It was. We're losing by a lot, and we want to see if maybe these guys can do something. And you know, you're you're putting guys out there who haven't had much opportunity, but yeah, maybe they could do something. Maybe they could have made something happen. Um, sure enough, they came out of the game. They put the other guys back in the game, and and they made something happen uh, toward you know towards the back half of the first half, and then into the second half. So I, I guess it worked maybe in the unintended way. You had Marek with three fouls. You had Quincy with three fouls. You had Joe struggling at that point. He was one for six from the floor in the first half. Had three turnovers in the first half. Buddy was one for three from the floor, 0 for two from three point range. Um, so I think it was a case of you had two of your front court, play, front court players in foul trouble. And, you know, your two starting guards uh, were combined two for nine from the field, and you were losing by double digits. And it was, a, you know, a chance to provide a spark, you know, provide some energy, um, and maybe let those guys sit down and, and think about it and, and have them go back in and, and kind of regroup and, and ready to go. And, and they certainly regrouped at halftime. And, and I thought it. It did start on the defensive end. I thought Joe in particular was really good coming out of the locker room, setting the tone. He hit the long three yep. on, on the first possession to kind of set the tone and then you know had that fast break where he had that awesome bounce pass. Um, I thought he did some really good things. He was aggressive coming out of the break, and I thought the team as a whole was aggressive. You know, Marek and Barama, after you know being non-existent really in the previous game against Louisville, I thought both those guys in particular really stepped up their game from an aggression standpoint, and and I thought they made a big difference. I thought there was, I don't know, is it too much to say that was Barama's best game of the season? It was certainly one of them. It was one of them, yeah. I mean, I, I would have to look and see, but nothing else jumps to mind. I mean, he, he's played well in a couple of he games. Uh, I, I but, just thought he really made an impact when they needed like when they needed it. He made an impact. He was, he was strong on the boards. He was aggressive. Um, and again, didn't do all that much scoring, but they, they don't need him to score. I mean, it, that is the kind of effort that they need out of Barama Sidibe. And if you got that on a regular basis out of him, it's you know, we used to talk about that with Tyler Roberson, right? Mike Hopkins always used to say the plugged, plugged in, in Roby. Roby. plugged in Roby. If you get if you get the plugged in Barama like we saw on Saturday, then all of a sudden I know people are gonna say, well that you know the center spot's still an issue. I'm not saying that that solves all of your problems. But 
you could live with the performance you got out of Barama on a regular basis. You could survive, and yeah. you could you could win a lot of games in the ACC with that Barama Sadibe. Yeah, I mean, I'll th- I'll throw a couple more uh, out. Uh, nine and five against Florida State. I think we agreed that he he played well in the Florida State game. If if you had gotten what you needed from from you know maybe a couple other guys, um, you know you you look at you know the, the Duke game. He was eight and seven. I don't know if he played a, a great game then. Um, Twelve and five at the win at Notre Dame. Um, eight and eight against Iowa, but they just got smoked in that game. Uh, you know, uh, th- those are the other ones that at, at the uh, the score sheet. I mean, I'm not going to count nine and nine against Bucknell or twelve yeah. and fourteen against Colgate. Like, I, I just I think, don't care. I, I think that. I mean, I think this was his best game. It felt like his best game. And as you're kind of reading back through his numbers, I, I think this was his best game. Six points, ten boards. He had three steals. He had a block shot. I, you know, he stayed out of foul trouble in the first half, completely out of foul trouble in the first half, and then ended up fouling out of the game. But by then, it really was. You know, by the time he fouled out, the game was at hand. They were up by six. It was. A couple minutes left. It felt like the game was in hand when he fouled out. I yes. thought he was a big difference maker in the second half, and I I can't remember thinking that slash saying that about Barama. You know, recently, and you're right. I mean, he had some good numbers against Florida State. He did some good things, but I thought he actually made a difference in this game. I'm with and, you. and so, if you know, you talk about looking ahead to next year. If if that's the Barama that we see, you're not going to see him week, you know, day in and day out. But if that's the Barama we see on a regular basis, I think that you know that's. That's encouraging right. for, you're not, for this team. You're not asking for a whole lot of scoring. You're asking for defense and rebounding. And and he gave you that. And he, yeah, you know what? He did finish three of his five chances. So he gave you a little bit of scoring. Let's go to the phone lines at 315 437 7644. Jeff in Baldwinsville kicking us off on the show today. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. So I was just thinking about the uh, chances of getting an at large bid. And I get, you keep saying it's off the table, which I kind of understand. But if they were to win out, so end up 19 and 12, 13 and 7 in the ACC. And then they won two games in the tournament. Uh, so likely they would get at least one quad one. They'd have to beat a pretty good team in the ACC tournament, right? They're going to yeah, get we, chances to play these teams like Florida State and Duke. and It depends on their seeding, so, but yeah. So let me just interrupt you quick, Jeff. So if they were the five seed, their quality win, they would be getting Virginia on a neutral site, which again, by, by definition, is a quad one win. But you, right. would, you would have gone the entire season. That, and that's where I get stuck. It would be on a neutral stuck. site. They're outside the top 50. So that would not be a quad one win. Oh, that's right. You're, that's a good point. <laughs> Thank you. So you're right. It's not a quad one win because it's a neutral, stri- neutral yeah, at site. The moment, at the moment. But Virginia, you know, Virginia wins a couple more games and... They probably would be up in the top yeah. fifty, right? It, it's a, right. It's a it's a fair point. That that's the part we keep getting stuck on, though, is that Syracuse would have gone under that scenario if they win two in the ACC tournament. They would have gone the entire season without a win over a top fifty opponent, which that's that's going to be a hard sell to the committee, I think. Or if they well, what if they win three? Then is that yeah? So that is the one scenario. Seth and I <laughs> we disagreed last week. That was the one scenario that I said I could envision in that large bid is if they were to win the rest of their games here in the regular season, which now would be four more, and then win three in Greensboro, because that would be one over one of the big boys theoretically. So I, I'm just I'm just, I'm just going to note this so that I can say how it plays out as of right now. But Syracuse right now would be the eighth seed in Greensboro. Because of tiebreakers, they would be the eighth seed. So they're tied with North Carolina State, 
uh, Notre Dame and Clemson. And what they do in that situation is you put their records together of how each team did against the other three teams. Uh, NC State went three and one, Notre Dame two and two, Clemson two and two, Syracuse one and three. Uh, so that means that Syracuse would be the last one out of those four. They're the eight seed. Uh, Georgia Tech, by the way, and, and this is a clarification on last week that I feel like we should probably mention. Georgia Tech is appealing their their postseason ban, so they are allowed to play. In Greensboro, as they are appealing it, unless they drop that appeal in the next two weeks. Uh, So they would play Georgia Tech in round one of the ACC tournament, noon on Wednesday, and then they would get the 1230 game the next day against number one seeded Louisville. So... You know, like, and and in that scenario, if that scenario, if they were if they were to win two, uh, you know, maybe just maybe beating Louisville is good enough. I, I don't know. Um, I I still find an at large bid very difficult to imagine that it would happen. I think Jeff's still on with us. So Jeff, we didn't mean to interrupt, but but go ahead and, and finish your point. Yep, I mean that's that's my point. Well, and the other part is, uh, you know, he said. He, Stop saying as it is now, but I'm I'm talking in fantasy land here, where we've won our next four games, and now you're now you're thirteen and seven. You're probably not the eighth seed, right? You're probably. The, I think uh, you're the fifth. I think six. you're the fifth seed. You yeah. probably would. It, you you would probably be higher than eighth. But it, it was just a that's that's what I had in so, front of me to to lay out a scenario for you. So let let me let me say this: Notre Dame plays Florida State down the stretch of the season. Uh, NC State plays Duke down the stretch of the season, and. Georgia Tech, you own the tiebreaker over. So if Syracuse, under that scenario, if Syracuse wins out, I think there's a really, really, really good chance that they are the five five. seed. Um, Because I can't imagine NC State is going to beat Duke again. Um, I can't imagine Notre Dame is going to beat Florida State. And, you know, again, things happen. But you you control your own destiny against Georgia Tech. So my guess is if they win out, they win these last four games, they're going to get the five seed. And then, yes, I do think there's a chance to, to get an at-large bid. Under that scenario, if they got to the finals and they beat one of the big boys, they would be 22-13. and 13. It would be hard to keep you out. I think so. And you would have you know 12-8 and eight during the conference schedule, three more wins on top of that, so you'd be, what, 15-9 and nine against ACC opponents, plus you would have one of those marquee wins. I think at that point, you are in. So... We keep saying at large bids off the table. I, I think that's the one way that they could get it if they got to the to the finals and they kept on winning these games. We do have to take a timeout. Phone lines remain open. 315-437-7644. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Steven Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number if you like to get involved. Let's go right back to the phone line. Scooter in Jamesville up next on the show. Hey, Scooter. Hey, guys. Uh, I know you guys. I'm not sure where you were in the 80s. I was in college and remember the Miracle on Ice. But there was a wild rumor after Russia lost the United States. There was... 25 people have sent to Siberia to be meteorologists, so that might have happened to the whole, <laughs> the whole hockey team. So that was a, and we and we kind of liked it. We, you know, if you're going to send to Siberia, you know, that that was our punishment for for losing the United States. <laughs> uh, but basically, you know, it, it's great talk, and you guys, you know, obviously, you know, Syracuse, and you guys got to stick up for SU, but 
when I see here SU going in, that means someone's coming out of the tournament. And if you look at other people's resumes, for a classic case is Georgetown. I understand Georgetown's not even in the tournament. They beat Syracuse. They beat Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. Syracuse lost to them on neutral court in Brooklyn. And teams like that are not even either on the bubble or just or just the last four out or six out. If those teams aren't making it, it kind of now behooves me how Syracuse, because they win the rest of the games against, what, the top 90? Uh, I mean, North Carolina, what, they rank 90th now? I don't know Pittsburgh's ranked now. Right, but again, yeah. that would be on top yeah. of, you know, we're not saying they win four games and they're all of a sudden in the conversation. The only way they no, even no. get into the conversation is win four games plus, you know, three down in Greensboro. Right, right, but I'm just saying that other teams this year, and everybody thinks because it's ACC, think of the mid-majors. Every time you play, for example, Dayton, that's just like playing Duke, okay? They're in the top ten. Every time you play a Villanova, even though like a Providence, they beat them, they move up. But, you know, classic case was Brigham Young and Gonzaga. I mean, Brigham Young, I believe, is in the top 30. So, so Gonzaga lost to a top 30 on the road. Which to me is not going to change that much because they were top thirty. Now Duke just lost to NC State on the road, and NC State's got a tougher schedule, obviously, in Syracuse because they got to play Duke twice. Right. And I don't think I don't, I don't think losing to Duke at Duke is going to hurt NC State because because they, they are playing the top ten. Right. And th- and that's what I'm saying. About what happened last year in Syracuse. You, you know, look at our losses last year, guys. We know you know we got killed by teams. Georgia Tech uh, uh, you know came in and, and clobbered us, and the team and the teams like that. We lost the old Dominion in Buffalo, but we still made the tournament because we played teams that had great high uh, Netflix ratings. Well, other conferences, you know, when you play Seton Hall, you're getting you're getting a bump. Uh, so I'm just saying that this this year, because you know, because the elite teams aren't elite this year, then then these these mid majors are actually getting bumps for playing teams. Like, oh, okay, you know, they're only playing like I said, but they're only playing uh, Dayton. Well. You know, Dayton's in the top five or six. So if somebody beats Dayton, they might move ahead of Syracuse. You know. It just seems funny this year, but that's the way it is this year. Yeah, and you, and you look at Georgetown. We appreciate the call, Scooter. You look at Georgetown, you look at the four games they have left. They've got Marquette, Xavier, Creighton, and Villanova. Three of those teams are ranked 26th or higher. Two of them are in the top 10, and Xavier is 44th. You've got Marquette at 26. You've got Creighton and Villanova in the top 10 in the net ranking. So, um, uh, listen, Georgetown is closer to making this tournament than Syracuse is, and if they finish strong, then, you know, George, Georgetown, I would say, controls its own destiny as it relates to the NCAA tournament because they've got four opportunities I mean, all four of those would be quality wins. I realize that that yeah. Mark or uh, Xavier rather would fall outside of quad one because it's a home game for them. But man, they've got big time opportunities down the stretch of the season. On the flip side, you have an opportunity to win. You also have an opportunity to lose. Right now, Georgetown's fifteen and twelve. They could lose those four games and, 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 be, and be under five hundred and not be in the NIT. Right. So but, think you know, about that for a second. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I agree with Scooter's overall point, and and it's part of the reason why I I say, oh, I don't think that they're getting in out outside of the at-large bid because I, I think that you know if you're looking at this Syracuse team and you're you're being realistic they have so many teams that they would have to jump that even if they get one win over a Duke or a Louisville or a Florida State at the ACC tournament I just don't know that it's it's enough to jump them and propel them in and 
That's just kind of the position that they've put themselves in. We were talking during the break on on Twitch on Keith Sports Talk. We were talking about how um, how much different would things be had Syracuse just won two more games. And you could talk about whatever two games you want. And the ones that you mentioned and the ones that I was going to mention were Georgetown and Oklahoma State teams that you know aren't great. They're not bad, but they're not great. And you know the Georgetown game would have been quad one. It would have been on the road. The the Oklahoma State game would have been quad two on a neutral court. And so neither of them are games that you're writing home about. Neither of them are games that are getting you into the tournament on their merits alone. But right now, Syracuse would have uh, 21 what, wins. 21 It'd be wins. 21 and 10. It would have 21 wins today. Today. That is incredible. I, I, take, or, that, I take that back. If they if they were to win if out. They were to un, win, oh, under, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. So that's have, under our so under have, our scenario of them winning out. So then they would have 21 wins at the end of the year going into the ACC tournament. And, you know, maybe you win a game, maybe you win two games. You're, you're talking about a team that's just in a very different position um, than they would be this year, and and that's not even giving them um, another high quality win. Like at some point, they just needed quantity. It's why a game against Clemson was so important. You know, it's you just needed to win games. It's why a game against NC State was important on your home floor. You just need to win games and bump up that number as high as you possibly could. And so now you're left in a spot where you you feel like you've got to go run the table in Greensboro. I think about if those two games went. You know, we say pick any two games. If you pick Clemson and NC State, you'd be ten and six in the conference right now. Um, you would you know own the tiebreaker with NC State. You would you'd firmly be a half believe. A game, well, you'd be a half a game behind. Virginia. Right. And I was going to say, you'd, and you'd firmly be, believe that you'd yeah. firmly be the number five seed I mean, right you'd, now. And, you'd and, be two games clear of, of of Notre Dame, and you'd be three games clear of NC State and Clemson since you'd beat them. Right. I mean, it, the, four games with the tiebreaker. Pick any two games <laughs> and, and think of how this season would be different. Really. I mean, you can right. look at any of the losses because you don't really have any bad losses. You pick any of those two games, and and the the entire complexion of this season changes. And we talked about how they're five and five in close games. Um, I don't know if we want to add Georgia Tech to that list or not. It turned out to be a seven point spread, but that was a close game as well. Just they to, just they to essentially th- have been five hundred in these close games. Yeah. Just to throw this one out there too, uh, NC State currently the last team into the tournament as far as bracket matrix goes. So take all the brackets, mix them all together, see what's going on. They are currently the last team in. Uh, as far as that metric, and, and it's interesting, you mentioned Georgetown's resume or record, I should say, and they're fifteen and twelve. They're one of the first four teams out, and I don't know how much that has to do Showing with a lot like of love to the Big hey, East. They've got right, the Big East is great, or hey, they've got these opportunities coming up. But that's wild, like that. What a what a remarkable swing where they could conceivably be like right on the tournament bubble, or like oh sorry, you lost four <laughs> straight games and you don't even get to go to the NIT. Like that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, could it you is. imagine having to be in that position? I would hate that. Well, if you're I not, mean, like, I guess Syracuse is kind of right. Like they, 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 they could lose and 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 not finish in the not go to the NIT, but they're not playing top twenty five teams thing. to do it. I'll be honest with you, Seth. I I think I would prefer if I were a player. I think I'd prefer the Georgetown situation over the Syracuse situation because the Georgetown situation you could play your way in, and if you don't make the NCAA tournament, do you think the guys are going to be crushed if they don't go to the NIT? No. So I, I would much rather be in that situation. I'd be happy they're not going to the NIT. As a competitor, I think you want to play the games. You want to. You want the ability to play your way into the tournament, and of that's course. that's the one thing with Syracuse right now is you know again I know mathematically they have the ability to play their way in the tournament down in Greensboro, but I would much prefer have those opportunities ahead of you 
and hope that you can steal one or two of them uh, to strengthen your case. Whereas right now, SU is just forced to play out the remainder of this schedule against teams below them in the ACC conference standings and and just hope for the just try to win the next game. I mean, that has to be the attitude right now. It's just you know they beat Georgia Tech. All right, win the next one, win the next one after that. Just take it one at a time and hope that you know it adds up to an eight game winning streak or whatever the case may be, and you sneak your way into the NCAA tournament. Let's get uh, one more quick phone call in here, and then we'll take our next break. Wayne in the truck up next on the show. Hey, Wayne. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, this was a kind of a fun, really fun weekend for Syracuse sports. I mean, Saturday, you had the men's team come back, and then later it was a monumental comeback for, for the women's lacrosse team. And then I'm at the Dome on Sunday uh, watching the, the women's basketball team almost pull it off in Notre Dame, and and then we watch uh, the Q's Flacks come back in the second half and, and beat Army. And then even this morning, you know, Centers of Attention announced that, you know, Tiana Mangakahia had been uh, released to rejoin practices, medically released. I said, so I guess I got a question for you because you, you guys might know more about this as far as redshirts go isn't there a percentage of games that can still be played and redshirt that year so so is there a possibility that she might see the floor this year and still be able to um redshirt and play next year yeah she she's not coming back this year i know she's sitting out the entire season my understanding with the whole injury thing is that if you suffer a season ending injury but you haven't played in x amount of games I think it's ten regular. Season. Is that the number? Seven it's, or ten? It's thirty percent. Right, thirty percent. So whatever. Yeah. So, whatever. so in theory, you play the first four games and then tear your right. ACL. You, you they're not going to charge you the year. Right, but you can't then come back and like if you finish out the year playing, that year counts against like, you. That's like, my understanding. Well, of the rule. so right because I was thinking about this actually in Robert Braswell's case. I was like, well, he's not at that thirty percent. You throw him out there, but. Right. They, they it has said, to be a season-ending right. injury, and then you can apply for the medical redshirt. If you just miss a lot of time and then play, then the year counts against you. So right. it's, you, it's a good point, Wayne, but yeah, she's sitting out the whole year, and then she'll come back next year with the, and, the year of eligibility. And the medical redshirts are kind of weird because you apply for them on the back end you know, of your college career. You don't necessarily get that as it goes, whereas you do with other redshirts. So they're a little more tricky. Like if, if you've already redshirted a year and you need a medical redshirt, uh, you, you might not find out for sure that you've got it, I, I believe, until after your senior year is technically over and then you've, you're trying to get it. So that's why the, the number 10 stuck in my head. Uh, so you're right, it is 30%. So if it's so say you play 32 games, 31 regular season games, say you lose your first game in the ACC tournament, that means you're allowed to play in 9.6 games. Right. So you're allowed to appear in 9 games if you play that 10th um, if you were only to play 32 games, then you that would be off the table. Braswell, I want to say, played 7, seven, right? Yeah. That's why and 7 that's why was they, stuck in my head. And that's why they cut him that, that, I don't want to say cut him. That's why they cut him off when they did, right? They don't want to mess him. around with that. Let's, right. let's not get too close. Let's not worry about this. That's it. Right. So he is eligible for the medical red shirt. Obviously, Tiana eligible as well. Good point by Wayne, but yeah, she's sitting out this entire year. We do have to take a timeout. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.